Welcome to the Kennedy Report. I'm Kennedy Hall. And today we begin a new series on creationism and evolution. This is one of the most hotly debated topics amongst Christians of all stripes, but especially amongst Catholics. In the Catholic Church, there is a lot of confusion about the doctrines that surround the traditional interpretation of Scripture, what we're supposed to believe about the Bible, how can this interact with what many of the natural scientists and the scientific communities are saying to us, and how can we balance those things? Are we supposed to sort of acquiesce to the spirit of the age? Should we believe what the scientific communities are saying to us? If it contradicts the traditions of our faith, or should we hold fast to those traditions? We're going to discuss that and investigate these things throughout the next five episodes. Today we're going to focus on the introduction and origins of evolutionary thinking. Now, most of us, when we think of evolutionary thinking, we think of Charles Darwin. And he is, in fact, the most famous evolutionary philosopher you might be able to call him. He wasn't really a scientist in, in the strictest sense of the word, but his book, Origin of the Species, uh, has been the seminal work, sort of ironically, the sort of Bible of evolutionary thinking. Now, Our Lady, she appeared 100 years ago at Fatima to warn us of the errors that Russia would spread. And we know that the consecration has not been done in the way that she demanded, so therefore we're still experiencing many of these problems. Now, when she was speaking about the errors of Russia, what she was speaking about, of course, were the philosophical, political, religious, and ideological errors that were coming out of the Russian philosophy okay, at the time of the Soviet Revolution. Of course, Russia has changed a lot as a country, and of course there's been a, a wonderful uh, renaissance of Christian belief in the Russian nation, which is something we should be very happy about. But nonetheless, those errors have spread throughout the world from that time of the onset of the Communist Revolution. Now, of course, she was speaking about the advent of communism, and it spread throughout the world. But there are errors inherent to the communist philosophy that maybe go unsaid in her warning, but are part and parcel of the whole communist idea. Communism is not just an economic philosophy. People will tell you, you know, communism is just about people making the same amount of money. As long as there's sort of equality amongst uh, salaries and wages earned, that somehow we live in a sort of socialist state. And you ask a lot, a lot of people of goodwill, I'm not suggesting that there's any ill will behind it, but you ask a lot of people of goodwill and post-secondary institutions, your average person on the street, and they'll say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay with some sort of socialism, because really it's just about equality. That's a big myth. In fact, communism is ultimately, in my opinion, sort of a religious philosophy. And the reason is, is because it's about controlling the minds and the beliefs of man. In communism, the state must be exalted, and all other things that go against the will of the state, those things must be suppressed. And as Karl Marx, the sort of unholy father of communist theory, of Marxist theory, he actually called religion the opiate of the masses. And in fact, religion, specifically Christianity, as it stands in stark contrast to the errors of communism, must be suppressed at all costs. This is why we see in the advent of communist revolutions in Russia, in China and other countries around the world, there's always a suppression of the church. And if the church is kept, the communist leaders enforce a type of belief or bishops or sort of magisterium over that national church that has to be in line with their beliefs. 
We're actually seeing that today in China, so please pray for the Chinese Catholics going through a great persecution right now. An example of how the beliefs of men have to be suppressed and what that has to do with evolutionary theory can be seen in the writings of Bishop Ogara. Bishop Ogara was a bishop in China at the time of the onset of the Maoist Communist Revolution in China, the Red Revolution, they call it. And he tells us that the Maoists would actually come in to the village, towns, etc., the countryside where the average person was living, where the majority of the Chinese were living at the time. And he would, they would actually be indoctrinated in evolutionary theory. Now, why would communists be so concerned with indoctrinating the people that they're overtaking with evolutionary theory? Now, this was the first thing that these people would be taught by these communist overlords. They didn't sit them down and say, let's go through the writings of Karl Marx. What they did is they sat them down and they said, let's go through the philosophies that come from Charles Darwin. The reason for that is because what we believe about ourselves will change how we will allow ourselves to be treated, but ultimately how we'll treat others. And if we believe that we descend from beasts, then we will allow ourselves to be treated as such and will allow others to be treated the same way and even facilitate it because the ideas of communism and evolution are so intrinsically linked because what we see in communism is in reality just a sort of large-scale social evolution. You have certain parts of society that are more fit than others. You have certain parts of society that don't contribute to the well-being of this sort of large state organism and those things are not fit and must not survive. It sounds a lot like the ideas of survival of the fittest that we see in the popular conception of evolutionary theory. Now, Darwin himself, this is important, Darwin himself actually had a great disdain for Christianity. And this makes sense that Our Lady would warn us of the inherent philosophies of communism, which, like I've said, has included evolutionary theory, because this great disdain of Christianity was going to spread throughout the world as well as a result of these errors. Now... I think if we were to look around the world, churches are burning in many places, persecution of Christians in many non-Christian nations is at an all-time high, and in fact today Christians are the most largely persecuted group on earth, just by the numbers, which is astonishing. And Darwin did not like Christianity. In fact, in his writings, you can see him talking about Christianity as a quote-unquote damnable philosophy or a damnable theory. The reason is because his father and his grandfather were both Freemasons. We know this from the documented evidence from the lodges that they belonged to. They were Freemasons. They rejected the Christian belief. I guess they would have been Anglicans or something in the Church of England at the time, but nonetheless, they rejected the validity of Scripture. And even Erasmus Darwin, his grandfather, he was an early proponent of what we would call modern evolutionary theory. He actually wrote a book called Zoonomia. It wasn't very popular, but it actually was this uh, work that kind of precedes the origin of the species has these hypotheses about how different animals could sort of become different other animals and things. It's a very evolutionary idea. He even wrote a poem about, well, he didn't call it evolution, but he wrote a long-scale poem about it. So this idea of uh, evolutionary thinking was really deep in the Darwin family. And given the fact that they were Freemasons, which Our Lady also warns us about in the areas of Russia, as Freemasonry is always linked with communist revolutions. But anyway, Darwin believed that Christianity was a damnable theory. He believed that it had to be done away with because he knew the logic of Christianity in that his father and his grandfather 
not being believing Christians were at great risk of eternal damnation, and he did not want to accept this fact. So, Darwin did not go into his pursuit of what he would call evolutionary theory with an objective mindset. He already had a disdain for the Christian faith, and as a result, he had a disdain for the scriptures as well. And if he could find a way to discredit those, then that would be good for his ideas. Now, before Darwin did his fateful voyage, uh, he went to what today are the Galapagos Islands, and he uh, did his major research that became his evolutionary hypothesis. He was reading the works of Thomas Malthus. It's hard to find any specific evidence. I've read a little bit that the, the Thomas Malthus and his ideas had a great influence on Darwin's family as a whole, but we know specifically that Charles Darwin was reading Thomas Malthus. And anyone who knows a little bit about English history, Thomas Malthus was an economic theorist, a political thinker, and um, he himself put together this way of thinking that we today will call, we call it something like Malthusian economics. And really what it is, it's the ideas of evolutionary thinking where the unfit must die off and the more fit must survive, but it's applied on a social scale to the economics of a society. So in, in the ideas of Malthus and his opinion, it was important that the weak, the poor, the sort of you know unwashed masses and things like that, as, as thinkers like him would call them, they had to die off. And it's in there we actually sort of see the seeds for something like a nature worship, because we look at the race of man as being full of clean and unclean, and we need to purify this. And as we'll see in a bit, you can actually see the links to the ideas that inspired the great dictators like Stalin and Hitler. Now, just as a little historical aside, the Christmas Carol story by Charles Dickens, he actually used Thomas Malthus and his economic theory as the basis for the unkindness and things that Ebenezer Scrooge shows. Ebenezer Scrooge is, that, is a sort of fictional representation of Thomas Malthus. So that just gives you a little bit of context there. Furthermore, the works of Charles Darwin, because Charles Darwin, he was a contemporary, an intellectual contemporary with Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, who put together what we know as Marxism. Karl Marx, the philosopher who promulgated these errors of communism, he actually said in a letter that he wrote to his comrade, Friedrich Engels, and he was talking about the origin of the species, and he said, this is the book, I'm quoting here, this is the book which contains the basis in natural history for our view. That's very, well, that's very curious. What is it according to, and this is, this is not just, you know, me as some guy on the internet, this is not just some blogger you find saying, you know, I think that communism and evolutionary theory are linked. This is the founder of what we understand to be communism today, reading Charles Darwin in his own time as they were contemporaries and saying Darwin's work contains the basis and natural history for our view. There is an implicit rejection of the scriptures and of the Christian faith there because we know that what is contained in evolutionary theory starkly contrasts that which is contained in the holy scriptures. So that's something to think about. Now, Vladimir Lenin who was the man behind the communist revolution in Russia. He himself also was a disciple of evolutionary theory. In fact, he kept a statuette, so a small statue, of this famous statue, where there's actually an ape contemplating a human skull. 
I believe it's in, uh, I, I believe it sort of mimics that famous statue called the Thinker. But uh, in any case, this ape is sitting there looking like he's thinking, pondering, you know, the higher things of life, and he's actually looking at the skull of a human being. So what does that tell us about that evolutionary mindset? I mean, it's almost as if, it's almost as if with evolutionary thinking, we are more excited about seeing how we're sort of the offspring of apes rather than sons and daughters of God made in his in image and likeness, which is quite a strange idea. But in any case, that goes back to the idea that in order for people to believe in communist thinking, they first must see themselves as beasts or at least see other people as beasts. So they'll allow themselves to be treated as such or treat others in that manner. And it only takes a five-minute internet search to look at the things that Vladimir Lenin did to millions of people and that he inspired in his revolution to know that he didn't have much time for those who disagreed with him and especially large amounts of people of the Russian population. Joseph Stalin, who came after Vladimir Lenin, in fact, as a young man of about 13 years old, he uh, somehow got a copy of Darwin's Origin of the Species. There's a story that comes from the history of, of Joseph Stalin that his mother sort of stumbled in to his room one morning and she found that he had been awake all night because he could not put down the book. And he's, it's said that he said to his mother, Mommy, I couldn't put it down because this book was so good, something like that. From there, Joseph Stalin gave up his belief in God, his belief in the scriptures. He actually, at a time, wanted to be a priest, according to those who knew him. And he gave all that up after reading The Origin of the Species. That should tell us something. And from there, he actually became sort of like an unholy evangelist for this anti-gospel of evolutionary theory that he would promulgate throughout his years as a politician. Along with these dictators, we can find ourselves arrive, arriving as well at Adolf Hitler. Now, you might be thinking, what does Adolf Hitler have to do with evolution? He does talk about it in many of his writings, but besides that, it's the mindset that we see in his views. It is this idea that there are certain members of the human race that are more deserving of survival, perhaps more fit, more enlightened, more clean, whatever terms you want to use, and there are those who are not. And for the good of the human race, they must be abolished. And he did this primarily with Jewish people, but also with other races as well, and also handicapped people. And he got his ideas on how to exterminate, or he was inspired, I should say, on how to more efficiently exterminate large groups of the human population by looking at the ideas of the eugenicists. And the eugenicists, uh, eugenics is essentially this uh, very much an evolutionary idea that there are members of the human race that are more fit than others, and we can sort of help them evolve into this more uh, efficient and uh, you know better functioning person by doing things with their biology. And one of the, well, the foundress of Planned Parenthood, which we didn't know today is one of the world's largest abortion providers, it might be the world's largest abortion provider outside of the state of China, because theirs is done on a state level. I'm not sure, but it, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, Margaret Sanger herself was a huge proponent of evolutionary theory. She had, the, you can read in her writings, uh, she was quite racist, and she actually had this idea that there were various ethnicities and races, Jews, Italians, African Americans, etc., and they were all sort of subhuman in some way. And she thought it'd be a good thing if they could be exterminated or sterilized through this idea of family planning. So she was involved with something called the Birth Control League, which eventually became called Planned Parenthood. But one of the ideas that she entertained and the people that she, in the circles with, that she ran in, they had these ideas of 
exterminating large groups of people efficiently through things like gas chambers. And these ideas made their way over to Europe. And Hitler was obviously inspired by these things, which we see with how he treated people in Germany, different types of people. Now, that's sort of the modern history of evolutionary theory. Just quickly, we'll touch on uh, how it actually is sort of an ancient theory and is part of one of the two competing philosophies that we see throughout all history competing with each other. We can see in some of the ancient classical philosophers, um, we see in guys like Lucretius, for example, who was quite a well-known philosopher in antiquity, this idea of, of sort of an eternal universe. And from there, you know, sometimes they might talk about a fight between the gods or whatever, but nonetheless, there's this sort of battle between chaos and elements, and from there you have emanating forth these various forms, uh, different types of human beings, etc. It's not a completely new theory. But what we see is this contrast between the Christian biblical worldview, where we have a sovereign creator who is separate from his creation, and we have the pantheistic worldview where the lines between creator and creature are very muddled. So one of the most popular instantiations of this would be the Eastern religions, like Hinduism, for example, and others, where, in a sense, we're all sort of pieces of God. We all have sort of divine stuff in us, not in the separate sense like sanctifying grace and the human soul, but there's an actual you know, substantial relationship between what a person is created of, at least the soul of that person, and it's sort of like a piece of God. And this is why you see in these uh, philosophies that have things like reincarnation, that basically you come from this one primordial source, this one divine source that isn't really distinguishable from the universe. You go forth, you live your life through a series of events over time, through maybe something like, like enlightenment, you may go back. But in, these, in, in, in the in-between there, you actually tend to see that you can be reincarnated in different forms. I mean, you could be a human being and you could come back in the form of an animal or an insect or whatever. What does that show us? That there isn't really a distinction in dignity. There isn't really a distinction in creation. There isn't anything special about the different creatures because ultimately they're all just sort of from this divine source and they'll return there. Now, you might be wondering, what does it have to do with evolutionary theory? Well, it actually has a lot to do with it because in evolutionary theory, what we see is that there's this sort of primordial substance or stuff. They call it the primordial ooze, different names for it. And from there, all life has come forth. And ultimately, because in evolutionary thinking, there isn't any real room for God the Creator. Basically, what happens is, is we all sort of live our lives uh, over hundreds and thousands and millions of years. There might be changes that we've never seen, but nonetheless are supposed to believe in. <laughs> and those things happen over long periods of time. And then eventually, we sort of go back to the earth. And there's no real distinction between the primordial stuff that isn't really created in the sense of the Christian narrative. And then from there, we just have this sort of amorphous idea of things coming and going throughout this evolutionary theory. It really is kind of, in a way, sort of a naturalistic pantheism. And it's very, it stands in stark contrast to the Christian idea. We could ascribe more things to evolutionary theory for sure. Uh, we'll talk later in other episodes about things like Big Bang cosmology and how that also has a very evolutionary idea to it. There is much more to be said on how we're supposed to interpret the scriptures. What has the Catholic Church ultimately said on the various things that we have to believe? And we'll focus on those in our next videos. But it's just important for us to remember that 
Our Lady warned us of these errors. And it's not just, like I said, the economic side of communism. It's a whole worldview. And evolution is the natural history, according to the founder of communism, it is the natural history worldview that must be used in order to buttress and build a foundation for these communist ideas. And it really is a shame that so many Christians, and Catholics in particular, have worked to try to reconcile the two. Because one is clearly from God. We see this, ultimately, the Christian worldview. One is ultimately from God, and one is not. One is a top-down theory from our Creator to us, revealed sacred history, and the other are the musings of a man who was admittedly an anti-Christian, grew up in a Freemasonic household, and looked for a way to deny the dignity of man through his following of Malthus' uh, economic theory, and also just to sort of deny the natural history of the human person revealed through the scriptures. So it's not something that we can take lightly as Christians. And we need to be absolutely sure of the doctrines that we must hold in order to have the proper faith. Now, in our next video, we'll continue to discuss those. But for now, this has been the Kennedy Report. And until next time, God bless.